Welcome to the Future Farm podcast. We talk to innovators in tech and science from around the world about their work and what that means for people working here in ag in Australia. There are so many startups and developments in technology, it can sometimes feel like it's really hard to stay on top of it all. And that's where we come in. Make sure you subscribe via your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like us to look into anything particular, you can tweet us at the hashtag ag and co. That's hash A-G-A-N-D-C-O. My name's Andrew Skinner. And my name's Jane Trindle. And we both work in the Australian ag innovation sector and are crazy interested in this stuff. This week, as it's our first podcast, we thought that we'd take a look at this year's trends reports that have recently been published by people like Mary Meeker and Syro, and also look at some other future of food predictions that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Now's a, now's a pretty good time because it's end of financial year. Everybody's starting to put forward their predictions for the next 12 months. And, and there's, there's been a couple of interesting ones. One's from a lady called Mary Meeker. And she does a, a annual internet trends report. Yeah, cool. Who is Mary Meeker? Uh, so Mary Meeker is, she's, a, she's an investor and analyst. Um, she works for Kleiner Perkins over in the US. And she's been doing these trend reports for years now. This trends report is pretty, pretty big. It's pretty comprehensive. It's, uh, it comes in at 333 pages. It is so comprehensive. 333 pages. I don't know how she finds the time to do it. (laughs) No, it's pretty amazing. Has some pretty cool trends. What were the things that you liked? What stood out? Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, I think there's quite a lot of it is, is, is relatively, you know, obvious stuff, but at the same time, it's good to see the figures. So one of the, one of the big ones that stood out for me is that now, um, you know, we've, we've passed the limit of half the world's population is now online. So we're now at 51% of people are online. Mm, that's amazing. It'd be good to see some geography or age diversity, or I do wonder who's missing out there. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So according to the, to, to her report, most of the growth is still to happen in Asia, so China, Indonesia, and and also India as well. Ah, okay, yeah, of course, yep. yeah. But Western Western growth is is slowing overall, and it's interesting because she also says that China is is now well ahead in terms of leading digital innovation. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? And in fact, um, I read an article. I think I sent it to you about how the partnerships with all the AI R and D. I was reading in the other report all the investment in AI globally. And I think a lot of that happens through China, in uh, partnerships with China. Oh, it does. So, so Alibaba, they're the Chinese equivalent of Amazon and they absolutely dwarf Amazon. I mean, if you think Amazon's a big company by, by revenue and also by ambition, Alibaba is, is just far bigger. You is know, it the same business model? Sorry, cutting you off. Is it no, the no. same? Yeah. Uh, so, well, yes, it, it's a similar, similar business model. So they've got their retail store, um, that, you know, their online retail store, but they, they also do similar investment in, in AI and they've also got their cloud offer, which is very similar to the Amazon one. Oh, right. Yeah. She was, it was interesting. She was saying while the growth is slowing and the cost of acquiring new customers in internet business is becoming higher, there's still quite a lot of innovation in internet driven businesses. Yeah. And, and, and I think there was, there was another one in there as well about how I think it's something like eight out of the 10 most valuable companies now are are technology companies as well, which was quite interesting. 
And they're so big. Yeah. I mean, are they the world's biggest? No, they're the top. Yeah, they're in the top 10. Yeah, that's, that's right. They are in the top 10. And, and, you know, just in terms of what people are doing online, you know, according to her report, you know, people are spending now an hour extra a day on their mobile phones compared to what they were doing in 2015. And also, this one was the one that I thought was the most interesting one, that 40% of young people say that they're now online constantly. Oh, constantly. There was another one that said, uh, talked about people using two devices. So that was about advertising consumption, I think, and mm. saying how people watching TV and then, then on their device, either buying or checking. This using two device things quite common. Yeah, I remember the, a while ago, the, the, the whole sort of companion device with TV, you know, watching TV, that's, that's been something that I think a lot of broadcasters have been interested in for a long time. But I think, um, you know, it, it seems to be something now that's starting to, to take hold. Yeah, and there's quite a few other things that I quite liked. There was one statement where she said 91% of people, which is nearly everyone, right, prefer, prefer brands that provide personalized offer and recommendations absolutely you know personalization and you know the the trend towards me i think is the uh you know one of the big trends that we're going to be seeing more of over over the next couple of years um the other the other one i thought that was quite that was really quite interesting was this um was the statement around how images are increasingly becoming the way people communicate you know we're, we're seeing we're seeing that happen through instagram so you know there was that there, there was that quite famous bust up at Facebook recently where um, the founders of Instagram and uh, Mark Zuckerberg fell out because uh, I think Zuck was, was starting to worry that Instagram was becoming more popular than Facebook. Yeah, that, that image stuff is pretty fascinating. There is some stuff in there about how much you can communicate through an image. And like we've kind of always known that, haven't we, that in, uh, image tells a thousand words. But uh, yeah, lots of these internet applications were originally really created around text. And I mean, just jumping over, we're going to jump over to the, I'm going to jump you over to the Data61 digital disruption report for a tick because they were talking about how um, AI, so robots, are now better at recognising faces and speech. And so that combination of the AI in the images is pretty powerful, really. Oh, it really is. And, and there was the, uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday as well, there was, um, there was some news during the rounds. Apparently Facebook's image tagging AI was, was exposed through a, an, an error on, on Facebook. So Facebook had a, had a problem displaying images. And you know, when in, in web browsers, when the image isn't displayed, you get the bit of text that describes what the image was. Mm. Because the images weren't loading, you could see the text and it was saying things like photo contains image of man doing handstand or, you know, mm. photo contains image of woman buying a bar of soap from shop. <laughs> <laughs> Good example. That's all yes. right. <laughs> and doing handstand. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it maybe says a lot about my Facebook feed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that image stuff was really fascinating and the growth of it, which, you know, Instagram has become really powerful, and particularly for shopping. It's pretty much all shopping and it's all shopping based on images. And then it was talking about how now that's evolving to, you know, to the stories. So combining images with the storytelling and what a powerful yeah. kind of communication tool that is. 
No, absolutely. And and we'll put something in the in the show notes, but there was a, another podcast. There's a chap called um, Joe Rogan that does a series of interviews. He interviewed um, Elon Musk, who's the, the guy behind Tesla and SpaceX. And, and uh, I think he was originally uh, founder of PayPal. Yeah, he, um, he, he talked a bit about this and he was talking about how it's just kind of an, an a, a evolution in communication. So, you know, it's around, around the amount of information that can be transferred at one time. So he's saying, you know, when you use text, you, you know, your bandwidth is relatively limited. So the evolution of, of that is to start using images so you can transfer more information in a short period of time. His argument was that it's a, it's a step towards neural integration. So he wants to get to the point where you just have to think something and the, and the, uh, the information's transferred. So quite an inter- in- interesting interview, that one. Yeah, that does sound good. Yeah. yeah. What else? What else? Was there anything else in there that you picked out? Yeah, well, you, you mentioned the other report. So the other report that we've been looking at is the, uh, the Digital Megatrends report from um, CSIRO and Data61. They've, they've gone through and they've, they've identified six trends as well. The interesting thing is that, you know, that you kind of know that these guys are maybe on the right track. They, they overlap quite a lot. But the other, the other big one really is around uh, reinventing work. That's, a, that's another big one in the future of jobs. I think and that's a really important area. It, it certainly is. And it's, it's one that's going to affect agriculture um, dramatically, I think, over the next few, few years. Um, and, and there's quite a lot of, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of fear around this topic because obviously it affects people's livelihoods and, and people are worried about, you know, what it's going to mean for them. And the, um, the, the reports that, you know, they're, they're quite balanced, you know, they, I, I think, you know, it's a, a high level. They're basically saying, yes, jobs will go, but jobs will be invented. So, you know, as, 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 certain, as certain roles and tasks that people currently undertake get automated, um, as workplaces change, then there's going to be new jobs that need to be done. Yeah, I quite liked how they changed that focus because there was all this focus of the future of work. And I think that's when everyone started getting a bit nervous that their jobs were going to be overtaken by a robot. Yeah. But they, these guys have called it the reinvention of work. I think that's, uh, that's better. It's, it's a bit more reflective of what's actually happening. The thing is, though, like it, lots of work will be reinvented. You know, I think, I think we keep hearing about all of this and I really hope one day um, – like we do something about it, to be honest. I was reading another report that's kind of related a bit on a sideline. There was a survey done of Australia's, oh, someone in some, it was a Swinburne survey of how Australians are perceiving their adjustment to the future of work, basically. But the one of the key stats that stood out to me in that report was something like 60% of Australians feel like they are personally responsible to reskill themselves to prepare for the future of work. That was really good. You know, as long as people can have some guidance around how their jobs will change or what skills they'll need, they're looking, they're seeking it out. That was pretty good. No, it is. It, and, and, and again, you know, it kind of talks to, to what the, uh, the reports are saying, you know, that people need to, to focus on being adaptable and flexible and really focus on their own ability to learn. Yeah. Yeah, which is good. And there's so many opportunities now. And actually just jumping back to Mary's report, she talked a little bit about these online education um, platforms like Coursera and Audacity and IDEO and how, I, th- I, you know, I couldn't quite get the sense of what she was saying, but clearly she's watching them to see 
what they do because but Coursera in particular seems to be having global reach and quite a yeah. bit of growth. No, absolutely. And I think, I think where it's coming from is, is, a, is a couple of things. I think one is that, um, you know, remote working is, is definitely on the rise, you know, and from, a, from an agricultural point of view, you know, that's, that's a really, you know, that's a really good thing for remote and regional areas. Because connectivity is also improving as well. And I know a lot of people in, in regional Australia maybe don't feel that at the moment, but the opportunities are, are increasing. And there's some pretty big moonshot projects underway um, again you know we talked about Elon Musk well he's got his his I can't remember what it's called now is it Starnet or something like that the uh, the the 60 odd internet satellites that he's just launched as a proof of concept what's that is that that's for the um I actually never got to the bottom of that that's about enabling automation really isn't it it um, yeah, what does it, it allow in terms of data or what does it what does it allow you to do? If well, the, the the plan is when it's when it's you know when they've got their full constellation up there, um, it's it's going to give high speed broadband to everybody on the planet. There are some challenges with that. I think you know if you if you think about you know if everybody on the planet connects through a certain set of satellites, you you kind of wonder what the contention of all of that might be. But mm. um, but the idea is that it, it provides it provides reliable internet connectivity to to places that currently don't have it. Isn't that amazing? I reckon that's what technology does that people don't kind of grasp is it gives everyone this equal access. I, I went to um, a conference earlier this year where they had a futurist from the med tech kind of sector and he was saying, and it gets picked up again here in Mary's report actually, talking about how even today patients, you know how we, everyone used to joke about Dr. Google? Well, I think now it seems like patients are doctor Googling alongside their doctor and getting confidence. And it's probably that human reaction of cross-checking information, like the two device thing. So they're, they're getting good information for the internet. And he was saying what AI is going to do for medicine is that everyone will be able to, using image recognition and, and other tools like that, everyone will be able to be diagnosed from Dr. Google as mm. well as the best doctor in the world. So every single person in the world is going to have access to the best medical advice through their mobile device. Pretty That's amazing. fantastic, isn't it? Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. And again, you know, that, that kind of just talks to the, the, the technology improvements in, in the mobile devices. You know, everybody talks about the supercomputer in your pocket, but it's, uh, it's actually becoming a, real, a reality. Yeah, it is. And it's, it, it's already the thing you take when you leave your burning house, isn't it? Your phone and your mm -hmm. children. Mm. Well, I mean, we, 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 can, we, can, we can segue all over the place because my, my brain now is going on how iPhones can drive multiple screens in, in high resolution, etc. But, um, but look, just going back to these, these reports... You know the the CSIRO report is is really is really good, and um, again, you know they they talk about how we're getting you know smarter machines. So uh, um, artificial intelligence is going to reshape every industry, not just not just farming and agriculture, but um, you know across the board. You mentioned you mentioned medicine and and health. You know which again, you know Jane, you and I have spoken about a lot in terms of how those two those two industries are becoming more intr intrinsically linked as well. I think they're becoming, and they're quite similar. I think they're becoming linked in the health and nutrition, like going back to the, I remember the conversation that you and I had about how this uh, image recognition might progress to being able to take a photo of your plate and it tell you 
you know, or photo of a recipe of a menu. Let's say you're in a Chinese restaurant with all those photos, take a photo of those different uh, plates and it'll be able to match it to your genome because mm. this can, there's all this uh, research around, you know, matching nutrition personally to the person and being able to, um, and I think then, you know, because there's enough food to go around the whole world, it's just that it's not matched and, and how can we enable that? No, that's right. And, and, and again, you know, Syro megatrends pick up on that. You know, they talk about these burning platforms and the, the disruption of established industries. And, and food, is, food is absolutely one of those. You know, you see we're, we're already seeing, you know, the, the rise of the convenience food and the delivery services. But again, you know, through, through all of those, you can, you can absolutely see how uh, nutrition and diet personalization is going to potentially develop. Yeah, I think it's a really important one. And I was going to say, oh, I was reading this article, I'll put it in. It's a fun article from the BBC called The Future of Food. And it was, uh, it was talking, yeah, well, I mean, it, was, it sort of started on this angle about how we're becoming more targeted around nutrition. A couple of things I took out of it. One is everyone eats the equivalent of one extra peanut a day. That's why we all put on a kilo a year. A He's peanut. One peanut. <laughs> and anyway, that's not, no. no. I, I reckon I eat the equivalent of extra watermelon or something a day. <laughs> uh, but this future of food thing was saying that um, these experiences around food are going to evolve, and then at home we'll have augmented reality headsets that superimpose digital imagery on the real world and could offer tranquil seascape for a fish dish or the wilds of Texas for barbecue ribs. Well, you, you laugh, but isn't that what Heston Blumenthal's made his career on? It kind of make me think, you know, he's, he, he was, he's a bit wacky, but he's quite a trailblazer, isn't he, yeah. really? I think yeah. he was um, onto something. Well, food, food in general is all about the experience, isn't it? So I think any way that you can augment the experience, you know, other than just the taste and, and create a broader kind of sensory I don't know what the word is really sensory 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 overload or sensory you know intervention I think is uh, is is something that I'd certainly be interested in giving a go. Would you? Would you sit yeah. there with your headset on? Absolutely. At the dinner table, listening to the I don't know the wilds of Africa. Well, they do that thing, don't they? Where there's, there's the sensory deprivation ones, isn't there? Where it's kind of the the, the opposite, where you sit in a dark room and you know you just have your food and you can't see or see anybody in the room and what happens <laughs> well I, I, I don't know i think you just throw <laughs> throw throw food at each other the whole time you're in there <laughs> i think i think we've digressed i somewhat. think we might i think we might <laughs> but anyway so so other trends um obviously you know there's the you know data is eating the world data driven um society you know data we're seeing the rising data science and the insights from data that's been collecting collected from from around us every day yeah, I thought actually that report for me, it gave a really good outline on what Australia is investing in terms of data science and which universities are putting in a big effort. I thought that was just a really nice snapshot because, I don't know, I've been a bit fatalistic about our effort, but it was nice to see, you know, some institutions, for example, in South Australia, taking it pretty seriously. Yeah, and, and, and I think South Australia really is um, is in many ways a bit of a trailblazer in terms of data science. You know, they, you, they've had the uh, the data for decisions CRC, which has uh, has just has just wound up. But um, you know that 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 showed great leadership in terms of 
and big data and, and data analytics in the defence and national security industries. Yeah, and actually I just noticed today that there's a announcement, in the Premier's announced an Australian first world-leading university, MIT, will establish a living lab in pan- partnership with Bank SA and Optus in South Australia. Oh, wow. Well, I know. South Australia is a bit of a quiet achiever in some of this stuff, I think. Well, it's nice to see someone just rolling their sleeves up and getting it done. I think it shows a great deal of grit and vision. So I, I agree. And it's the, you know, the National Space Centre's there now as well. So, uh, you know, very interesting spot. Yeah, it is. Um, just the other um, thing, and what didn't come out of the digital dimensions, and we haven't talked about it much, but the Australian National Outlook, the other stuff that it was talking about was all the uh, advances in all the other tech, like biotech, and mm. how important that's going to be for our economy. And I thought that was really fascinating. And I have been, I just wanted to mention, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts, which is similar to ours, that I think I'll put in the show notes because I think other people might like, but they're, they've been exploring recently. There was two really good interviews. One was around the acquisition of Amazon of Whole Foods and why Whole Foods wanted to be acquired by Amazon. That was really interesting. That was about a business that came from an ag, a real ag perspective, and they just knew they didn't have the digital skills and that's what they thought they would get from the partnership with Amazon. Mm. So their e-commerce skills and everything like that would just be, you know, supercharged. Um, and then another article, another podcast I listened to, these, they're, they're similar names, one called Future Food, one's called Future of Ag, was about the partnership that Bayer have around synthetic biology and trying to get um, new options for crop protection and the challenges of working with the natural environment. Uh, yeah, I, I think I listened to that one as well. There's that one, that was the one about the moonshot projects, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was good. And, and, and I think the, what was interesting about that as well is obviously there's a lot of, a lot of data again being collected through these kind of projects and the whole conversation around data ownership and data security, data ethics, you know, that's, that's certainly not going away. No, I think I'd like to see some more conversations about that, particularly for research. You know, I think if we really nailed how to mobilise all this data for the research effort, we're going to see a whole lot of benefits, a whole lot. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, and again, you know, it's, it's, one of these, it's one of these things, I think, where um, people, are, people are affected whether they know it or not. It, and, and again, Mary, Mary Meeker's report, you know, the, <laughs> another one of those 333 pages, it talks about how, you know, half a billion people were affected by, by security breaches last year mm. alone. You know, maybe this is one of, those, one of those areas where, you know, agriculture's taken the right approach at looking at data ownership and, and data security before really making really big, broad um, inroads into, you know, general use of, of everybody's data. Oh, I think it's, a, I mean, really, it's an asset. And I think you've got to get that, the, the rules around that right first that seems to me to be so fundamental Mm. and then upon that you've got a platform of which you can you know build but i think without it you've got so much confusion around not just ownership but like this whole you know we're all sharing data with everyone and you can be a bit complacent but if it now that we're seeing data as an asset like it can make it, it is attached to your business um yeah i think you really have to be 
you have to have your eyes wide open with who you're sharing it to, who they're sharing it with, what they're sharing it for, and make sure you're happy with all of that. And I think until we have some transparency around those transactions, uh, that's going to be pretty murky. No, I, I agree. And and again, you know, just from both of these megatrends reports, it's an area that's just absolutely highlighted. Mm, it's a big business risk too. I mean, I think it's good. I think the more we talk about data governance and cybersecurity, I think, you know, some of these risks can seem invisible. Uh, you know, we, see, we saw two examples in ag recently where the risks were great, like the Ag Force um, BMP data, which mm. was deleted because around privacy risks and similarly the issue with the, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but that Australian Farms. Oh, the uh, Aussie, Aussie Farms. Yeah, which was yeah. listed on the privacy register, I think. But I think, yeah. you know, big deal. So anyway, yeah, it's, I think it's good to see them highlighted. And No, that, that, that's right. And, and I think, you know, you touched on the Aussie, Aussie Farms, but one of the, one of the other um, points that the, that the CSIRO Megatrends report um, raises is just around the stress and the anxiety related to availability of data. And, um, you know, being being online all the time. So, you know, those those kids that reckon that 40 percent of the time, you know, they're 40 percent of kids, they're online 100 percent of the time. Mm. You know, the, the health and, 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 and well, the mental health um, impacts of that as well. are, are You know, it's something that we're only just starting to understand. Yeah, I know. I think, and right at the end of that report, they talk about the invisible technology. Well, that's probably mm. what you're talking about the no unplug up option. That's right. I think you know. Well, I kind of feel like that's an opportunity for Australia. Well, ab- absolutely. Plenty of yeah. unplug zones. <laughs> well, and 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 look, I mean, you when when we were just talking about the future of jobs a minute ago as well. You know, we were you know we were talking about Coursera and and, and online um, online learning. And, and again, you know, one of the points from the, the Data 61 report is that, uh, you know, there's, there's actually no need to visit a shop or an office or even a university now. So, you know, how's that going to, to change us as, a, you know, as, as humans and, how, and what's that going to mean for us in terms of, you know, so our social connections, et cetera, as well? So, I actually yeah, think that sounds really great because I totally love that idea. Like you don't, the necessity of it doesn't, you don't, have to visit those places like you said shops and offices and you know which just Mm. takes time and effort and money quite frankly if i can just stay at home while i'm doing all that sort of stuff and choose to go to visit you know amazing buildings and gardens and landscapes and national parks and farms and whatever rivers beaches great that sounds mm. great to me. <laughs> well, I guess unless you uh, unless you run a, a traditional <laughs> retail operation or a, or a university, but but interestingly, the um, the, the the other thing that this um, this section of the Megatrends report talks about is the rise in terms of human centred design, and you you touched on it a little bit earlier from Mary's report where you were saying you know that the whole trend towards personalization and and, and developing services around individuals. And, um, you know, all of that ties into what you were just saying, you know, make my shopping experience just for me, make my working experience just for me and, and make my learning experience just for me. Mm, I think, yeah, I think that's I think it's good. I think it's great in learning. I do think with like food and fiber supply chains, what a challenge that is. Mm. You know, these are global, enormous partnerships, really. 
built on a probably an old model of transaction and I just think personalization it's going to be interesting to see the innovation that happens there and how how the supply chains have to adapt no I agree I agree I think there's going to be a lot of adapting and and, and a lot of change and it's going to be really exciting to see which of these trends um, you know actually really really do do drive things forward If anybody has any questions about what we've been talking about today, reach out and and, uh, and contact us through our Twitter feed. Do you want to do you want to tell people how they can uh, they can get in touch, Jane? Yeah, um, you can just tweet us using the hashtag Ag and Co. So that's hash A G A N D C O. Uh, the other thing is, I think if you've enjoyed this podcast you can rate us in the podcast app but we would really love to hear about what you enjoyed uh, what you'd like to hear more of anything you've seen that you'd like us to take a look into so that's a wrap for our first podcast and we we hope everyone enjoyed it we've got some great plans for future episodes including interviews and guest appearances and as jane said please do take some time to provide us with nice feedback on twitter and rate us on apple podcasts We'll see you in a few weeks. Bye.